spots and it only takes one person to, to make us vulnerable and for us to be defeated and so on that same principle Jesus you know you think about that Jesus conquers just like David and his men defeat an overconfident enemy by setting up the blind and the lame on top of the wall our King Jesus conquers those old strongholds when he becomes king over our life if we allow him to be ruler and our king and our leader then those old strongholds those things will be conquered Jebusites were a harmful stronghold that weakened Israel as a nation and held on to the land that would eventually become the site for God's temple. Israel had taken the land that God had promised them, but instead of following through and taking all of the land and getting rid of every remnant of the enemy, their doubts stood in the way and the Jebusites held them back for hundreds of years. As Pastor Mark explains in today's message, we often have similar spiritual strongholds in our own hearts. We've been brought into a state of spiritual abundance, but instead of thriving, we allow some little sin to harbor in our hearts. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 5 with today's edition of Come Alive. Today we pick up in in verse 6 of chapter 5. All right, so verse 6 is where we'll pick up. It says, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking thinking that David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. And now David said on that day, Whoever climbs up by way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore they say, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And then David dwelt in the stronghold and called the city of David, called it the city of David. And David built all around from Milo and inward. And so David went on and became great. And the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. And then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons. And they built David a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. Go back to verse 6 where it talks about, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem. And we'll stop there. David and his men go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a strategic city. It was a very strategic city. It was surrounded on three sides by valleys, making it a very hard place for attack if somebody was to, to come against it. It was politically strategic because it bordered two of the tribes, Benjamin and Judah. It sat right between them, making it impossible for any one tribe to claim it. And so Jerusalem was historically significant when you think about it, dating all the way back to the patriarchs, but a priest named Melchizedek blesses Abraham in this area, Jerusalem. Also in Jerusalem, Abraham travels to a mountain to sacrifice a son, his only son, Isaac. And then all of a sudden we read that God had provided an offering. And so Jerusalem is a, an amazing place, a place of history a place of now for David. And still, when you think about it, as a Christian, 
you and I were strategic, just like the city. You have access to the three-in-one. You are protected by the three-in-one, the Trinity, to protect you. And if God is your refuge, you'll also be hard to attack if he is your refuge, if you take refuge in him. You're also politically strategic because you have a boundary line that you should draw and say that Satan cannot take you and that you're standing on a certain boundary and that's your political vote and your voice. We're politically strategic in that sense that we have a voice to vote for people who stand for the things of the Bible. And we have a responsibility to know who they are and how to get that information. And you are also historically significant as a Christian. He knew you before the foundations of the world, and we can tell his story to our friends and our families from that perspective. So very much so are we like Jerusalem. We're strategic, very strategic. Look at the rest of verse 6. And it says that they were in Jerusalem against the Jebusites. So the Jebusites are the enemies, the inhabitants of the land. They're the ones who are living there. Who spoke to David saying, you shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you. They are the ones that thinking that David cannot come in here. So this was not only a taunt. It was a taunt in the sense that it was kind of a slam towards David in the children of Israel or his army saying, look, man, we've got these blind guys up here and we've got these lame guys up here and there's no way you're going to get in here. And this is really all we need to protect ourselves. And so this was a taunt, but it was also a tactic. It was a tactic because the Jebusites would place their blind and their lame on the city walls as an alarm system. The blind having a very refined hearing, they would hear the enemy approaching probably sooner than, well, somebody that has sight. Their thought was if an enemy tried to enter the city, the finely tuned ears of the blind would hear them, and the lame, unable to run to safety, would simply start yelling at the top of their voice for help. And this is, I mean, when you think about it, it's very cruel that the Jebusites would do this. I was reading this uh, this week, these verses, and I read it to a friend of mine, and we got to one of the verses, and we're going to address it, where it talks about David hating the, the blind and the lame. And he goes, see, dude, you know, you guys talk about that you're, you Christians and the Bible so full of love, but here's a, here's a war about to take place. And it says right here that David, uh, you know, the great king of Israel, hates the blind and the lame and he's like how do you how do you answer that and I was like well it does say that you're 100 percent right and I just let him stew on that for a little while to see what other conversation might come up but we'll answer that in a minute and I'll let you stew on it as well so it was a taunt to David saying that hey our blind and our lame that's all we really need to defend our city and it was kind of an insult to the enemies of the of the Jebusites when they would do this stuff And so look at verse 7. It says, nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. This is the first time we see the word Zion in the Bible. And and so if you want, if you're into that, circle it, mark it, and put the first time. And it's called the city of David. So again, it's another name for Jerusalem, Zion. It would be another name for Jerusalem. It refers to the Temple Mount area, and Zion can be translated parched place. A parched place. Or a sunny spot. It all depends on your perspective. But either way, even still today, it's a hot spot. So there are two places referred to as the city of David. Jerusalem. Anybody want to take a guess on the second? 
This is where you can interact. Starts with a B in a little town of, there you go, Bethlehem. Very good, guys. I didn't even have to give you any answers this time. So, Jerusalem and Bethlehem are also referred to as the city of David. Look at verse 8. It says, Now David said on that day, whoever climbs up by way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. There, therefore, they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. So, despite the difficulty uh, of getting to the Jebusites and, and winning this fight, and you can kind of flip over to Second Chronicles, or First Chronicles, one of the Chronicles, chapter 11, where we know that it's Joab who, who climbs up that water shaft. And he gets to be made captain. Now, Joab's not the greatest guy in the world, but guess what? He is one that's willing to work hard. And so there was a, a, a place um, there that the, the city had to get water. And it being on top of a big hill, there's a shaft. And there was a, a, a river that ran by it. And it's called this place, this shaft they found, it's called, they think it's the Warren Shaft. And so... Um, Whatever the tactics would have been, David and his men persisted through difficult circumstances to defeat and overcome their enemy. So Joab, you can read about that in, in, in Chronicles, he, he climbs up this water shaft. He climbs up really hard, a hard, tiny spot probably and gets up in there. But it's, it's going to say when you think about us as Christians, if we take the Jebusites and you think, well, you know, we have vulnerable spots. We have vulnerable spots. And it only takes one person to to make us vulnerable and for us to be defeated. And so on that same principle, Jesus, you know, you think about that. Jesus conquers, just like David and his men defeat an overconfident enemy by setting up the blind and the lame on top of the wall. Our King Jesus conquers those old strongholds when he becomes king over our life. If we allow him to be ruler and our king and our leader, then those old strongholds, those things will be conquered, those things that hold on to you, those things that kind of keep you in. Because when you think about it, the Jebusites now can't escape because the enemy's on the outside. They can't go anywhere. They have water, they have food, they have all that they need. And there's a lot of people out in this world that you and I may know that seem to think that they have all that they need. We just sometimes as Christians need to be wise enough and pray, as Nick was saying, when you invite people to church, pray for them, spend time praying, and asking the Lord to show you those vulnerable spots in their lives that maybe you can reach out and touch them in and say, hey, you know what, are you going through this? It's amazing what will happen. You may be afraid to be assumed as like somebody trying to think you're a psychic or trying to guess into their lives. But I I guarantee you a lot of times when I have that little inkling, that little, hey, why don't you mention this? I often find out that when I do mention it, the person's like, dude, how'd you know that I was going through that? And that's a perfect opportunity. It's like, I didn't know. I've been praying for you for a while. And God told me to ask, dude, God told you? Uh, Did he say it out loud? How do you say it? I was like, well, you know, I was sitting this morning and reading and having my quiet time, and I felt like the Lord said, this is what you're going through. Is this what you're going through? Yeah, bro. And then we just start talking and start witnessing and start taking that person through those places in the Bible that God had been giving me all week long. Because sometimes, like I said, your quiet times, a lot of times it's for you, but sometimes, just sometimes, you might be like, I don't know what this is for. It may be for you to give to someone else. So on that same principle... Jesus conquers those old strongholds. He becomes king over our life. 
And so that territory that should have been given to him a long time ago is now conquered. And there's really no habit, there's no thing in your life that's so deep that the power and the blood of Jesus Christ can't defeat it, can't beat it, can't overcome it. And so it tends to go deeper than all that if you allow it to. And so there's no entrenchment of sin that has gone so far that the power of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, by his Holy Spirit, he can actually go further and do more for you. Jesus desires, like David, to conquer. He wants to conquer. You and then your family when you think about it. He wants to start with you. It's always going to start with you. And he wants to conquer you. He wants to get you fully surrendered, as we were talking about last week, where we say, we give up. We're, you know, we're tired of being this person that wants to try to grab life back. We want to give it to you. And then your family. And then your neighborhood. And then from your neighborhood, maybe even your city, then your state, then your nation. He wants to conquer those spiritual Jebusites that we all tend to have. And so he comes to the people, to you and I, and he says, I want to talk to them, or I want to talk to him. And there's where that little inkling, you might say, you know, well, how are you going to do that, Lord? How are you going to talk to him? I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you, Mark. Oh, come on, man. I don't even like that guy. He's got this funny smell or whatever it may be. And the Lord says, no, I'm going to use you. I want to see... Her saved, maybe, he says to some of you. I want to see your friend saved. I want to touch them in a special way. And I'm going to use you. And so the first person to handle the task of climbing up that shaft, kind of being that Joab for the Lord, it may be you. It's going to be tough. And again, we know that Joab took that task for David. And you might have God tugging at your heart and your thoughts. And he puts things in your mind. Hey, teach a Bible study. Or, hey, reach a coworker. But as soon as you feel that tug, the enemy, the enemy begins to taunt you. Man, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. There's no way. I, I, when we planted this church, we knew nobody out here. And as we drove around looking for places to meet, oh, we kept on hearing, there's no way you're going to have a church here. There's no way you're going to have a church there. And then if somebody did say, well, how much money do you have for rent? We would say, well, we have nothing. And like, yeah, it's not going to work. And the enemy began to really taunt me and say, hey, there's no way you're going to have a church. And so one day, Jess and I were going knock door knocking. And the only reason we did it, I think, is because I didn't want her to see that I was scared to do it. We were, uh, it was Sunday. We had gone to a friend's fellowship. And we went over by the school where we used to meet. And we picked a neighborhood that only had one street. And I was like, that would be good enough. I, that was my thought. That would be good enough. And so we held hands and being scared and took our little flyers and started to put them on doors and knock on doors. And every time somebody didn't answer the door, I was like, thank you, Jesus. After about the third door, he was like, bro, you want somebody to open the door because if you don't, come Sunday, nobody's going to show up to a Bible study. I'm cool with that. Oh, then, then we don't have to live here in Texas. Well, we can move somewhere else and start a Bible study like where they have mountains and snow. And where when Christmas time hits it, you're not sweating. We don't have the air conditioning on where we're bundled up, drinking hot chocolate, and red sweaters actually look cool, you know? But no, no, no. So then we finish that little street, and I look at my wife, and she looks at me, and she goes, now what? And I so badly wanted to say, let's get in the car and go home, because it was easier to sit in my chair and watch the next episode of whatever, 
but there was another neighborhood behind it. Let's go down there. And we did, and there were people outside. We'd walk up, and I'd be like, oh, gosh, we're going to be made fun of. We're going to be taunted. And the enemy the whole time is saying, yeah, yeah, you are. Hi, we'd like to invite you to church. Oh, cool, man, yeah. And you're just like, really? Though they never came, but it was still like, really? You're accepting? You're nice? You didn't chew off a leg? We weren't running down the street screaming help for our lives. It was amazing. Sometimes you just need to go for it. And then from then, you got to build on that because to stop would have been horrible. Be like, oh, cool, we talked to one family, so let's go. It made it easier to talk to the next people. And by the time we got to the end of it, it was like we were professional evangelists knocking on doors. Almost as good as the Jehovah's Witnesses that show up. Like we knew what we were doing. And so that's what happened. You need to go for it sometimes and let God work out those details. Now there's a part of this verse here that seems that David hates the blind and the lame, right? It's in parentheses. And it says, the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. Now, there's nothing that says, oh, he didn't mean it. There's nothing that says contrary to that. But if you would look and you think about this, it's the verse that seems that, and I think that David just hates the enemies of, the, you know, of God, the Jebusites. These guys being Jebusites, David hated them. And not that they were blind and lame, but he just hated the Jebusites. And my reasoning for this is if you turn just a few chapters over to chapter 9 and take a look with me, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And now David said, Is there anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And so when they had called him to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service. And then the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there's still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. And then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Emil, from Lodabar. And now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face, prostrated himself, and then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Here's your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. So David doesn't hate the lame. He doesn't hate the blind. He hates the Jebusites. He hates the enemies of God. He didn't care if they could walk, run, if they were 8 to 80, blind, crippled, or crazy. He hated him. If you were God's enemy, David didn't like you. He didn't like you. It wasn't that he just hated all blind and all lame. So we can't read that into it. We should never read that into it. And so David wants to show kindness to Mephibosheth. And so it would seem, and then if you even think about it, Saul was David's enemy. And he still shows kindness to the household of Saul. And so here is that application where, you know, to love our enemies, to show them kindness. Now that doesn't mean all the time. I mean, if it's a dangerous enemy, don't run up to them with a fruitcake this Christmas and while they're holding a gun or a knife trying to kill you. Just show, pray for them. Start there. 
Show them kindness. Show them kindness. And look at verse 9. Going back to chapter 5. Verse 9 says, Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called the city, called it the city of David. And David built all around from Milo and inward. Milo is just like the northern area of Jerusalem. And it was very vulnerable to attack. So David builds it up. You know, and, and saying, hey, you know what, let's build some terraces around this place to help protect the people that are out there. He does something that a true king does. He really cares for the people. A real leader really cares for the people. And so they want to do things, and they're not going to hide things. They're going to do things to help protect people and get people doing the right thing. So he builds up these terraces. Look at verse 10 and says, so David went on and became great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. Literally, the Hebrew says, David went on growing and going, growing and going. And, and, you know, that's been my prayer. I pray that the Lord um, just allow that to be me. Continue to go and grow. I mean, sometimes the going gets tough, and sometimes the growing seems to want to stall. But I just pray that's my prayers, that I constantly grow and go, that whatever the Lord calls me to do, that I grow while I'm doing it. And that he always gives me stuff to do. That my kids always see me serving him and not just serving myself and doing the fun stuff. But making all things that the Lord has us do fun. And that they see and they find enjoyment in it as well. And so when they get old, they'll say, man, you know, that's what my dad did. I want to be like my dad. And so God's going to allow you to go as far as you want to go. Did you know that? He'll honor that. As far as you'd like to go, that's how far God will take you. If you want to be great, he can make you great. It may not be according to your definition of great, but it'll be according to his definition of great. The Christian should have a desire to have more of God and be closer to God than have a desire to have more of, well, material things. Not that they're bad, but your desire should always be to have more of God and be closer to God. And pray to ask God to grow you, and you'll begin to see a change in you. Ask God to change you in that situation. Don't be that guy that walks into the office or the factory or wherever you work, the shop, whatever it is. Don't be that guy that walks in all bitter and angry and mean and just because something didn't go your way. Be that person that says, hey, you know what? God's growing me each and every day. The reason I didn't do this that way is because, you know what? The last time I did it, I realized, oh, I just, I was bitter. And I want to be better for the Lord. And so pray and ask God to grow you, and you're going to begin to see a change in your life. But just like David, it's the Lord who's going to grow you and develop you, not you. You can put out your plan all you want. But if you don't allow the Lord to grow you, it's going to just kind of fall by the wayside. It's going to be no good. Every time we create a new edition of Come Alive, we have the privilege of sharing the Word of God with you, our valued listener. Have you been touched by the Spirit as you've listened today? If so, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a quick email at info at comealiveradio.com. We'd love to meet you, too. If you're in the Katy area, come join us for our Sunday morning service at Calvary Chapel Katy. We meet at 10 a.m. to dig into the Word with Pastor Mark, worship our loving and powerful Creator, and get to know each other better. You can find out more about us at comealiveradio.com. Before we go, Tracy wants to tell you how you can partner with us here at Come Alive. Thanks, Chris. Each edition of Come Alive that you hear has been professionally produced to minimize any distractions from the message of hope only God can bring. 
While we offer this program for free to our listeners, there are costs involved on our end. Would you pray about joining us as financial supporters of Come Alive? Any and all amounts are useful and so appreciated. Find out more at comealiveradio.com or you can text a donation to Calvary Katie at 77977. That's 77977. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Thanks, Tracy. We're so glad you joined us today. Pastor Mark will have more to share from this study in the book of 2 Samuel. So join us again for Come Alive. From slaves of